In Matthew chapter 13, verses 3 through 23, I'm going to read to you because it's a really cool parable and it has meaning that we can use. We're always looking for new meaning because new meaning is what gives us the ability, it gives us new fuel, it gives us the ability to create spaces inside of ourselves, to create to make room for states and ideas inside of ourselves that we did not previously have room for. In other words, we are very contracted and shut down. We know this, and so that that's wrong. But when you get new meaning, you find that you know something else, and so that what looked wrong isn't necessarily wrong anymore. It may, in fact, be right. In fact, both things, the thing that you thought was right and the thing that you thought was wrong, may both be right if you have the proper meaning, if you have the proper spaciousness inside of yourself, if you can see it. So here's how the story goes or the parable goes. And he spoke many things to them in parables, saying, Behold, the sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seeds fell beside the road, and the birds came and ate them up. Others fell in the rocky places where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up because they had no depth of soil. But when the sun had risen, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. Others fell among the thorns, and the thorns came up and choked them out. And others fell on the good soil and yielded a crop, some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. All right, so that's the parable that Jesus used when he was speaking to this group of people. Well, the disciples came up to him, and they said, Why do you speak to them in parables? Well, Jesus said, to you it's been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been granted. For whoever has, to him more shall be given, and he will have an abundance. But whoever does not have, even what he has shall be taken away from him. Therefore I speak to them in parables, because while seeing, they do not see, and while hearing, they do not hear, nor do they understand. In their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is being fulfilled, which says, you will keep on hearing, but you will not understand. You will keep on seeing, but you will not perceive. For the heart of this people has become dull. With their ears they scarcely hear, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise they would see with their eyes, hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and return, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes because they see, and your ears because they hear. For truly I say to you that many prophets and righteous men desired to see what you see, and did not see it, and to hear what you hear, and did not hear it. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is the one on whom seed was sown beside the road. The one on whom seed was sown on the rocky place, this is the man who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no firm root in himself, but is only temporary. And when affliction or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he falls away. And the one on whom seed was sown among the thorns, this is the man who hears the word, and the worry of the world and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. And the one on whom seed was sown on the good soil, this is the man who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and brings forth some a hundredfold, some sixty and some thirty. So there it is, the parable given and explained. And yet, even though we have the parable given and explained, why is it that we don't really get it? Why is it that it doesn't have any meaning for us? Why is it that we're not getting new meaning from it? You've all heard this parable, probably heard this parable many, many times. Yet, 
It just doesn't rock your boat. And why is that? Why is it that we have a difficult time applying it to our lives, to our daily lives, to how we operate in the world? Well, part of the reason is given by Isaiah. You will keep on hearing, but you will not understand. You will keep on seeing, but will not perceive, for the heart of this people has become dull. If you look at our world today, you must be able to see that the heart of this people has become dull. We run after all the wrong things. Our values are totally twisted. What we think is important is not important. So our heart, or the heart of this people, has become dull. With their ears, they scarcely hear, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they would see with their eyes, hear with their ears, and understand with their hearts, and return. Return to what? Return to a sound way of living. Return to the ideas that are the foundation of esoteric principles. Return to what it is that works and brings us closer to our goal of transformation and awakening. Return to that. But people are running in the opposite direction. If one of five men can do this work, you might think that gives you a 20% chance of success. But it's not so. The one who can work is far more rare than the numbers suggest. If you reach into a bag of M&Ms and pull out a handful, you won't get an even mix of colors. You'll get many more of one color than another. Another color may not even be represented in there. I'd have used trail mix as an example, but they always add more peanuts, so you don't stand a chance. The reason they add more peanuts is because the heart of this people is dull, because peanuts are cheaper, and it's a filler. And we add filler so that we can increase profit, and quality suffers. But quality is not important in the world anymore, because the heart of this people has become dull. They do not understand what perfection is. They do not understand what quality is. They do not understand what service is. So they have shut their eyes so they don't see, and they can scarcely hear with their ears. You can tell them this, but they will have so many self-justifications for why they're doing what they're doing, they won't even hear you. We'll come back to this later. It's not a matter of one of every five. It's a matter of one type out of five types of people as defined by the fourth way. A redhead is a type of a person. Now, of all the people here in this room, there's not one redhead. Redheads are not equal in number with people who have brown hair. People who have brown hair are the people who are dominant. That's the color that's most dominant. And so redheads are more rare. So it's not because there are this many people with this many colors of hair. Let's say there are five that if you're a redhead, you have a 20% chance. You see, it's not that way. It's a matter of they're more rare. So just because someone is a good householder doesn't mean he's fit for this work. But we've heard many times that in order to enter this work, you must be a good householder. But just because you're a good householder doesn't mean you can do this work. There are two types of good householder. Only one can work properly. Solomon said, Behold, I have discovered this, says the preacher, adding one thing to another to find an explanation, which I am still seeking but have not found. I have found one man among 1,000. Now we're getting closer to what happens when you stick your hand into that bag of M&Ms or trail mix. Now we can move to the trail mix. Now you put your hand in the trail mix and pull it out. You're going to have mostly peanuts. How many Brazil nuts are you going to have? Or how many cashews are you going to have? There won't be nearly as many. Now it won't be as many as one in a 1,000. won't be that few. But now we're getting closer to what it's actually like to do this work. Or, as they say, this work has to be done. The types are these. The good householder, the tramp, the lunatic, and the hosnimus. Now that's four, obviously. 
And I said, five men. So clearly, we're taking the good householder and we're saying there are two kinds of good householder. So now we have the good householder who can work, the good householder who is not fit to work, the tramp, the lunatic, and hosnimus. We have five now. So this is the five men. Gurdjieff taught that people must be at the level of good householder to be brought into this work. To be brought into this work does not mean to be introduced to this work. It means to be brought into this work. The work chooses you and brings you in. Many are called, but few are chosen. Everybody has been called, but very few are chosen. So they're all called. Let's say many are called. Of the ones who come forth, how many are chosen? Well, I'll take you, you, and you. The rest, you can go somewhere else and get ready for something else. That's what that means. Ospensky said, good householder really means in the work sense, a man well-orientated to life, who does not believe in life, but sees the real value of things. Such a good householder has magnetic center. So now we have two good householders, one with magnetic center and one without magnetic center. Now understand that the reason we're talking about the five instead of the four is just because of this. A man can be a good householder without magnetic center. And if he doesn't have magnetic center, he can't do this work. Well, that's not fair. Well, it may not be fair, but it is the way it is. It's the same way that if you're not a redhead, you're not a redhead. But I can dye my hair. Yes, but that's pretense and you still won't be a redhead. It doesn't change what you are. And to do this work, you have to be real. Whatever it is you are, you have to be real. A common type of good householders run successful businesses. They deal with their affairs well. They know how to do their job, but they believe in life. This is fresh for me because after we've just done the remodel of the kitchen and all that, we had some people come in who installed granite countertops. And that's a specialized thing. I mean, you know, people have to know their stuff. They have to know their job in order to do this. Not just anyone can do it. You have to have special tools. You have to know how to handle this stuff. There's just so many things about it because it's a natural stone. It's got fissures and cracks and weak spots, and you've got to be careful, and it's got to be done just right. You measure just right, and there's all this involved. So the people that we got, the guy is good. There's no question about it. He's really good at what he does. And he does well. He's busy all the time. So he's constantly working. He is a good householder. He is really good at business. He knows the laws. He knows that if somebody doesn't pay him, he's got 20 days to put a mechanics lien on their house. He knows exactly what to do, exactly how to file, exactly how to do everything. He knows how to do his job well and get paid for it. So this is someone who is a man well-orientated to life. So he's a good householder. He says he's going to do something and he does it, okay? So as we got to know this guy, he's a bicyclist and also a motorcyclist. Well, as you know, I used to ride a motorcycle and I used to ride a bicycle. So I was interested in hearing that. One of the stories he was telling was how he did a job and the people didn't want to pay him until he did something else or they didn't like something. It wasn't something that he did wrong. It was just something that they didn't like. And so they were going to hold back the money. And so he said, well, look, I'm getting ready to go to Europe for three weeks. And if you don't pay, I won't be able to file in Europe. So I'm going to have to file before I leave. Mechanics lien. So he files the mechanic lien, sends him an email and says, we have a lien on your house. They instantly paid him, of course. So what I'm saying is motorcycles, bicycles, trips to Europe, everything that this guy wants is in life. 
He's a good householder, a good businessman. And he has made himself wealthy by being well-orientated to life. Yet, he has absolutely no desire whatsoever for anything that life doesn't offer. He just could not be less interested in what I do. He just isn't interested. He does his duty in life for what life offers him, for the rewards of life. Now, another good householder is well-oriented to life, knows his job, but he doesn't believe life will move him in the direction he wishes to go. He has a sense that life isn't real. In spite of the unreality, he continues to do his duty in life. He doesn't do it for the motorcycles and the cars and the bicycles and the trips to Europe and the house and this and that. He doesn't do it for those reasons. That's not what he's after. He's not doing it for what life offers, but he's doing it for goodness' sake. He's doing it because he believes that there is something more to life. There is a goodness that comes from doing your duty from the right state that has nothing to do with what you get paid. And that is magnetic center. The good householder who can work is one who sees the real value of things, not the inflated value that life places on itself. What is that bicycle worth when you buy it? Well, the guy wants $2,000 for it. Okay, so you pay $2,000 for the bicycle. You take it outside and you bring it back in. You don't even get on it. You take it outside and you bring it back in. And you say, I want to sell this bicycle back. What's the bicycle worth now? Well, it's not worth $2,000 anymore because it's been sold. So that's the value that life places on itself. Life places a high value on itself, places a high value on all these things. And if we buy that, if we buy into that valuation, then we think that life is valuable. What it offers those who worship at his altar is really not very valuable when you consider it. The good householder with magnetic center sees aims of life, the aims that life gives us. Well, what should you have? The American dream. What is the American dream? To own your own home, to have your own business, to own your own car, to be able to, to have your family, to have your... to see American dream, yeah? So a good householder with magnetic center sees the aims of life as false, leaving you with nothing at the exit door. What happens when you die? Where does the house go? Where do the bikes go? Where does the motorcycle go? Where does all that stuff go? Where's the value in it then? So he sees what's really valuable. Whereas a good householder who is well-oriented to life without magnetic center, he sees that the things in life are valuable, and they're not really valuable. So he doesn't understand true value, true meaning. Now, the tramp is very different from either of good householders who each do their job. The good householder both do their job. One of them does well in life, and he's happy with that. The other one does well in life, and he sees that as not all that important. He sees that as expendable. He's willing to give that up for something of true value, real value, if he can find what that is. Ospensky said, amongst tramps, you'll find many artists and poets, etc., who despise good householder. Tramps are at a much lower level than a good householder. Let me see. To despise is to feel contempt or a deep repugnance for. Already we see that a tramp, someone who despises, feels repugnance for or a contempt for, is already in a negative state. It's already a negative state. So a tramp is already filled with negative emotions. They have no feeling of responsibility towards anything. There's a little of the tramp in all of us. 
It's a very foolish thing. As a matter of fact, your foolishness can be traced back to the tramp in you. Have you ever been foolish? Usually you can trace it back to the tramp in you. There's one other place it could be, but that's usually where it is. You can combat being a tramp with scale and valuation. If you can find yourself in scale in the great ray of creation, where you actually are in the great ray of creation, suddenly you see how far down you are. And that in and of itself will not combat being a tramp. But if you can value the things above you, then you can love them. And if you can love them, what you love, you will try and be one with. Now we have these two other classifications of men. One is the lunatic. Ospensky said, lunatics are like politicians, people who think they can do, people who think they can change life by means of themselves, people who, if they put their theories into practice, create greater disorder because they don't calculate second force. Also, very foolish. It doesn't take much to see that you've got a dose of the lunatic inside of you. You think that you can change other people. You think that you can change life by means of yourself, by basically ordering people around, by teaching them this, by telling them that, by making them do this, by making them do that, by manipulating them, by threatening them. You have all kinds of different ways. All of you control freaks step up to the plate when it comes to lunatic because a lunatic is a control freak. It's someone who actually thinks that they can control life. Again, you can combat this by seeing the great ray of creation, seeing where you are in the scale of things, how far down the ladder you are, which rung of the ladder you're actually on, which remember is the next to the last rung of the ladder. So you've got someone you can look down on. Unfortunately, that someone you can look down on more often than not is yourself because you spend more time at the lowest rung of the ladder than you do at the second rung up. And that's because of negative emotions. Because we indulge in negative emotions far too often. Now, clearly, there's some lunatic in all of us. It reveals itself when we don't calculate second force. When is it that we don't calculate second force? Every day. Every day. We're surprised that it didn't work out. We're surprised that it didn't go the way we expected it to. We're surprised that we find opposition. It's like, what? What? How, how, could, you, how could you not want this? I want this. Everybody wants this. How could you not want this? We're shocked. We're shocked that everybody in the house doesn't want to jump up and go clean the kitchen because you want it cleaned. We're shocked because the children don't want to vacuum. What? What? You don't want to keep the house clean? What? We're shocked. It's a big shock. It's a, you have to be insane to think like that. Can you see where the idea of lunatic came from? Yeah. To think that you could control other people is lunacy. It's crazy. It can't be done. People cannot even control themselves, let alone control others. <laughs> so it's all the ways that we do it that make us really nuts. We try to force them. We absurdly think that if we give them new rules, if we lay new requirements on them and new expectations on them, they'll be so grateful and they'll just jump to it and get everything done that we want done. You can see the lunacy in this. And if you can't, just turn it around and, and look at how you feel when people do that to you. When people put those kinds of expectations and requirements on you, look at how you feel about it. Hmm, it doesn't work. Now we come to this strange word, hosnamus. It's a word invented by Gurdjieff. And it's probably based on some Turkish or Persian language. And it may even be a mixture of words, like he did with uh, proctog being, whatever it is. And he did that for a reason, too, because we are three-brained beings. 
and with these three centers. These are the three centers that don't understand each other exactly. And so everything that he did was designed to be found out, designed to make us think and be found out. And some people have lost their lives thinking and finding out and never doing anything about it. What I would rather do is give the knowledge the light touch and give the practice a heavier hand. In other words, practice more of the little bit of knowledge that we have rather than gather more knowledge and practice so little. If you've visited this part of the world, Persia, Turkey, if you've visited that part of the world, you'll know the type of person well enough, the hostamus. A hostamus is always looking for the advantage. He's clever, he's tricky, he's sharp in business. He's looking for power over others to his own advantage. In Turkey, if you know anything about the Turks, if you go to Turkey and you go shopping, which a lot of people do, and when I was in that part of the world, there were a lot of people who were going, and they well, let's go on a shopping trip to Turkey. Let's go on a shopping trip to... So they go to different places to shop, because in Macedonia there really wasn't much. So they would go to these other places, Turkey, Greece... Well, if you go to Turkey, if you get there early in the morning and you get to a shop just as it opens, you get the best deal. Because a Turk believes that if he can sell to the first person, the first customer who comes in, that he's going to have a good day and make a lot of money. So here's a Hosnimus. The Hosnimus is the one who goes to the Turk's shop first thing in the morning and beats him down and basically steals from him makes him give up something that he paid more for because he knows that he has this superstition that if he can make this sale, that the rest of the day he'll make it all up and he'll make a lot of money. So a Hasnimus will show up there and beat the Turk down and cheat him to his own advantage because he knows that he has this superstition. So do you see what I mean? Now, a lot of people would think, oh no, the Turk is the Hasnimus. Well, that may be. But the man who goes there first thing in the morning to get the best deal is doing it for a reason. It's like a fire sale. So your neighbor lost his job, and he lost this, and he lost that, and he's lost his car, and now his house is in foreclosure, and you go and you say, well, look, I'll buy it from you, and you beat him down on the price, and you cheat him. In other words, you take advantage of his bad luck or whatever's happening to him. That's a hostimus. It's someone who's looking for power over others so that he can get an advantage for himself. Do you see that this is directly opposed to what we are doing? And yet, you have this in you. You'll go bargain hunting, you'll go for good deals. Finders, what is it, lo losers, weepers, finders, keepers. It's that mentality. That's the hostimus mentality. Now, a lot of people, see, the thing about the hostimus is, of hostimus, Ospensky said, hostimus men are people whose well-being depends on the non-well-being of other people. As examples of hostimus, Gurdjieff pointed out some dictators. Well, I imagine that back in that time it would be Hitler and Stalin were two of the dictators that he pointed out who were hostimus. But you see, we get this inflated idea of hostimus then. It's like these evil people, Stalin and Lenin and Pol Pot and all these other people. Not so. Hostimus men have always existed. Simon Weisenthal said, The history of man is the history of crimes, and history can repeat. Applying scale to hostimus, You'll see this in yourself, as well as the big scale of Nero, Hitler, Stalin, Pol Pot, Idi Amin, Chairman Mao, and a host of others that we could probably list. People who, their well-being was dependent upon the non-well-being of other people. Remembering this will help you to avoid being a prig 
You know what a prig is? It's usually a British term, but it's an English word, and it's okay to use it. It's a self-righteously moralistic person who behaves as if superior to others. You'll probably be able to find some of that in yourself, too, if you look properly. No idea where you are in the great ray. See, that's what all of this is about. We really don't know where we are in the great ray of creation because we cannot find all of these five inside of us. The lunatic, the tramp, the hosnimus, the householder who only cares about life, and the good householder who believes. And this is a small part. Now we get to maybe one-fifth, and probably not. But one-fifth of you is interested in something of real value. And you might say, no, more than that. I would say, look again. That's what I would say. Look again. Of the five men, good householder with magnetic center, good householder without magnetic center, tramp, lunatic, and hosnimus, what gives good householder with magnetic center a better being than the others? Ospensky said, he often disappears after having done his duty. Such a man often vanishes. People do not hear of him. He may have gone into a monastery, or he might have gone elsewhere to find out something different from life. Such a man, if he does this, may find something that makes it possible for him to develop. This is not easy. This work is not a shoe-in. You don't show up, put your can in the chair, and expect to develop. If you do, you are going to be sadly disappointed, and it may take you years to realize this is not for everyone, and it's not easy. It is a very long journey, very long. The way of good householder takes a long time to separate from himself and develop along the line we're created to develop. We are created to develop in a certain direction. We have spent our lives developing in the opposite direction, going the wrong way. Now, if it takes a long time to make the journey, imagine how much longer it takes when you've been traveling the wrong direction most of your life. Now you've got to backtrack and come back all the direction that you went the wrong way. Morris Nichols said, No one must come into this work who is not in some degree good householder. This work is not for tramps or lunatics. What's the one question that liberal arts students have to know? The one question. Do you want fries with that? What this means is a tramp can't do it. Someone who only wants to do, oh, I just want to be a poet. Oh, I just want to be a painter. Oh, I just want to be this. Oh, I just want to be that. Oh, and the world and all its things, those things aren't important. No, they're not important until you're starving. They're not important until you're in the street. Then they're important. That's not a good householder. That's not responsible. Lazy people looking for an easier, softer way often find their way here into this work. It looks like, well, this is it. This is the thing. This is going to do it. This will do it. I'll, I'll get all this enlightenment, and then uh, and everything will work out just fine, and then, I'll be, and then I'll be great, and then I can do whatever I want to do. Those are tramps. Tramps lack self-discipline, inner discipline, which means they're not good at life. If you lack self-discipline, you're not good at getting to work on time, are you? You're not good at doing your job. You're not good at it. You can't be counted on. You're not responsible. People aren't going to want to hire you. You'll have a lot of different jobs. But you really won't be good at any of them because you'll never stay with one long enough because you lack self-discipline. This work isn't for such people. That's the rocky soil. 
that we talked about. They take it with joy. Oh, yeah, wow, that's great. Look at this. And then some adversity comes out. The sun comes out. Because they have no root, they have no depth, instantly it's scorched and they're done. So you see where this parable of the sower comes in. All these people are in that. So Jesus didn't call them tramps, lunatics, and hostimus. No. And good householders. No. He called them rocky soil. He called them thorny, fell in with the thorns. He called them, fell over here on the roadside, and the birds came and ate it up. And then he called the good household with the magnetic center. That's the place where the seed fell in good soil. How good was the soil? Well, bore fruit, some 60, some 30, some 100 fold. It's all there, and it's all here. The thing is, is for us to get it all in here so that we can practice it, so that we can live by it so that we can make a difference in our own transformation by applying these ideas. The first question we had this morning would not have been asked had this been put to use inside of us, had we seen the tramp inside of ourselves, the lunatic inside of ourselves, and the hostimus inside of ourselves, and the good householder without magnetic center. Had we caught those four guys inside of ourselves, we wouldn't have expected so much from other people and thought that we weren't offensive. Is Hosnimus offensive? Yes. Is a lunatic offensive? Yes. Is a tramp offensive? Yes. Do they have unpleasant manifestations? Absolutely. Do you have them inside of you? Yes. Do you have unpleasant manifestations? Are you offensive? Yes. <laughs> Lunatics don't find their way here very often. Why is that? They tend to be full cups with all the answers. If they do show up, they leave more quickly than they came. Often, they leave worse than when they arrived because they've got some new bit of knowledge and they can think even more of themselves and think that they can change even more in the world with this new bit of knowledge they have, which of course makes them worse. Both types can do this work great damage. And we have seen that when lunatics and tramps have gotten in to this, that they misunderstand it almost completely and they end up doing the work great damage because they don't understand it. They talk about it as if they do and what does the work call that? When you talk about something that you don't know, it's lying. When you talk about something you don't know as if you did know, that's called lying. So tramps and lunatics get in, but then when they get out, they lie. They talk about it as if they knew what it was, and they never tasted it at all. They never tasted it at all. They looked through the glass at the meal on the table, and they watched someone else eat it, but they never tasted it themselves. They couldn't. Morris Nichols said, this group we're gradually forming, has nothing to do with a hospital or charitable institution. I want people who are some good already and who know something about the difficulty of meeting second force and seeing that the fault is in themselves. The fool in us never sees second force and lives in fantasies and imagination. The one thing you can be sure of, every tramp, every lunatic, every hosnimus who's ever come around here, has not been able to see the fault in themselves. They've been able to see the fault in everyone else. When you are not seeing the fault in yourself, when you're seeing the fault in everyone else, look for the tramp, the lunatic, or the hosnimus, or the good householder without magnetic center, because that's who's running you. You might have instant matter, but part of a cosmic matter.